listening to a new episode of Standby Secrets. This is Matt. And this is Millie. And today, you will never guess where we are. <laughs> um, we're actually in Dallas. Tell them why. We are at the ID90 corporate headquarters. Isn't that so cool? <laughs> um, we kind of got a little lucky getting here because it was negative nine, um, and all three of us made it. Me, Matt, and Mog. There was never a... a any amount of doubt that we'd make that flight. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, let's introduce our guest. Um, today we have Ross, and why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself, what do you do, and a little bit about yourself. Thanks, guys. Yeah, love to have you here. I love that you called it the corporate headquarters. We're very, <laughs> we're very proud of that. We do have a small office here in, in Dallas. Uh, there's around 25 of us. But yeah, my name is Ross, and I work as a sales and account manager for ID90 Travel. So I look after the majority of our US-based airlines, uh, and I'm also out selling our solutions and trying to bring on board new airline partners around the world. Uh, to make people like you happy as there'll be more airlines you can fly on. So that's that's pretty much what I do day to day. Um, and I've been with ID90 around 18 months. So cool. And you are a also a lot of a non-rever because your wife is in the industry as well. So you kind of get benefits there. Correct. <laughs> yes. I've never worked for an airline, but I've uh, definitely Im- enjoyed the benefits. And yeah, that's how I got introduced actually to ID90. So my wife, uh, I, we've been non-revving, you know, for, for many years, and uh, my wife used ID90 as, as a customer, and she was actually part of our brand ambassador program, which is where we invite airline employees to partner with us and post on social media. She's she's a lot cooler than me. So she, <laughs> she has more followers, uh, so she can get, you know, she was posting for her non-rev trips, uh, knew about ID90 and, and met some of the team here. So when, when the job came up, it, it looked like a great fit and, that's, and awesome. that's how I got into it yeah and it's such a cute like neat cute story too yeah really nice story <laughs> to yeah. bring in your wife definitely yeah so I'm from from the UK so uh when we met which was was through work she's based here in the US so yeah we very much relied on on non-rev travel from pretty early on in, in our relationship so definitely got me used to see at that stage I wasn't entitled to access Z travel but yeah you know I certainly learned a lot about it went through the stresses of uh, you know not knowing if if either of us are going to make it on a flight <laughs> and uh and also the enjoyment and it, it you know helped us to see the world and and we, we love it so I can't see a world where we don't have flight benefits okay <laughs> <laughs> No pressure to your wife. <laughs> I know. If she leaves, I'll have to, you know, ring up all my airlines, try and uh, sort something out. So what was your first trip like as a non-rev? Uh, was, did you do a buddy pass? Were you guys together? Yeah. So when I first started non-revving, yeah, it would have been as a buddy pass passenger. So, you know, without that Z travel, if I was based in, in the UK and I was working a lot in the US as well. So it may have been just flying around the US as a buddy pass passenger as part of her benefits. Um, and then obviously since we've been married, I'm a fully fledged spouse uh, <laughs> or an eligible traveler as we call them here at ID90. So I have full access to Z on my own as well. So my non-revving, uh, yeah, I've seen it kind of in various different roles. And then in my role here at ID90 as well, learn a lot more about how all the different airlines operate the benefits they offer to their employees and and actually the variety between airlines has been really interesting for me because you know when you're when you're a companion or 
you're a spouse, uh, you're really seeing it for a very narrow lens of that employing airline. But in reality, it varies a lot. And that's been really interesting for me to get up to speed with. Yeah, that's awesome. And, you know, whenever you are flying, what's your usual, like, preparation for flying? Like, do you go there super early? Do you, what do you do? And to add to that, uh, who is the leader on planning the trip? Oh, that's with a good one. Of you or your wife? This is a great question. And uh, it's definitely a team effort. As much as I'd like to say I'm, I'm the leader, we probably play different roles. Uh, <laughs> actually, in terms of the logistics, in terms of planning trips, even uh, back in the day where I used to buy a lot more flights than I do now, I always loved that aspect of, of planning, whether it's a vacation, even a work trip. You know, I, I love the looking into uh, the logistics and, and, you know, the planning side of it. In terms of when we actually get to a destination, that's that's definitely her domain. So <laughs> I, uh, I play my role at the start. Um, <laughs> but yeah, then she tends to take over as I'm more relaxed about what we do when we actually get somewhere. Oh, does she have plans set out before you guys get there? Or is she very like, go with the flow? We'll see what, what happens when we get there. Yeah, she's pretty pretty relaxed, but she's just better, better than me. Puts more effort into finding Aww. things. You know, we were in, we were in Japan earlier this year. One, one, sorry, last year now. I keep forgetting we're in 2024. Um, but last year we were, we were in Japan. First time either of us had been there. And she took us to this interactive art museum, which... You know, if I'd read about it, I would never have thought, oh, that's somewhere I want to go. But she obviously knows me and, you know, she's like, yeah, you like it. She probably took the word art out as it's maybe not my uh, go-to activity. <laughs> and it was awesome. It was so Japanese, very kind of unusual, like very interactive. And we had a great time. So, yeah, I tend to leave that that side of it to her. But in terms of the flights, um, you know, I love flying on as many different airlines as possible I've kind of got that as a goal as well so wherever possible I'm trying to fly on a new carrier as well so I like looking into that do you feel like you still have that anxiety of like am I going to get on or did that dwindle away over time like I am naturally a pessimistic person (laughs) you know now I'm in sales that doesn't really like fit it's a strange one most salespeople are very optimistic but for me yeah I'm more I like to use the word realistic uh, rather than pessimistic but yeah for me I'm always thinking what happens if we don't make that flight? So in terms of my routine and how I tend to think about trips, I definitely understand all of the options in advance. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, because I'm kind of naturally more risk averse, even if a flight is open, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm kind of making sure I've still got a backup. Um, so sometimes... Really? There would yeah. be 50 seats open and you're still like, what should I do next? Yeah, I had it, <laughs> I had it for Christmas. So I, I spent Christmas in the UK... And I was, I flew back uh, around a week or so before Christmas. And I say back, back to London. And uh, there was a British Airways flight. It was wide open. I think there was 102 open seats. And I was pretty relaxed the night before. Wasn't checking the flight loads at all because of that 102. Um, And then suddenly sort of glancing at my phone, it it had gone to oversold. And essentially um, they'd cancelled another flight um, and repositioned all of those passengers so honestly I think sometimes being someone with more options that are slightly less open can often be more advantageous than one wide open option because you're so vulnerable if something happens to that flight so that's fair yeah I I try to you know try to understand all of my options and you know in terms of the hotel side or the accommodation side rental cars that kind of thing 
that's the beauty of you know working for ID90, knowing about ID90. Like I get the same uh, rates as you guys, but I never book a hotel prior to being cleared. Mm-hmm. But, you know, and actually that's pretty consistent across our platform. Around forty percent of our bookings are actually made on the day of travel. Yeah. So I'm certainly not alone in that. We know that's how airline employees like like to travel. So you know most people are going onto our app and actually if they're on the plane once they've been cleared. Um, or actually once they land in their mm-hmm. destination, that's when we see those hotels being booked. So accommodation-wise, you know, if, if it's more of a bucket list trip, like that Japan trip that I mentioned, we're going to have like target hotels. We would have looked into yeah. that. We know the area we want to stay, that kind of thing. Um, but I very rarely uh, push the button until yeah. I'm on the flight. That's a cool stat that you pointed out, 40% same day. That's cool. I'm definitely in that statistic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You got to look for the deals. I, I, I got, for me, it's like I got to check, see see what I'm getting into first because if it's the first time you're looking at the prices for the hotel, you might be surprised if you're going to some place, you know, for the weekend for a, and it happens to be a Taylor Swift concert or something. So True. I, I got to check a, a few days in advance. Now, for going to the airport, are you the type that's getting there hours early and you like to see your gate and you like to slow down or maybe go to the lounge or you get there uh right before the flight takes off kind of thing right before boarding starts maybe yeah great question and this is probably something where my behavior has changed as i've become more experienced as an on-rev traveler um so i'd say i'm typically towards the later side of that spectrum obviously if i do have lounge access it can be nice to get there early and enjoy that um you know, I have the, the Capital One lounge at DFW. I fly from DFW a lot. Very nice lounge. Um, so, you know, I might go early, uh, have a meal in there, that kind of thing. Uh, but typically you can go pretty late. And I think we all know, actually, unless unless you're assessing your options and you've got multiple flights that you might ha- be keeping an eye on, um, there's probably no real advantage in getting there early. And I feel like DFW is one of the best airports for getting there last minute. And Dallas Love even, really. There's just the amount of walking to your gate. I feel like if you go to the right area is very minimal. Absolutely. Compared to like Denver. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Denver's uh, yeah, a little bit different. But, you know, I've, I've been lucky. I lived in two cities in my life, London and Dallas. So in terms of flight options, in terms of infrastructure, airports, et cetera, I've, I've been really fortunate there, not just in terms of the airport experience, but actually my access to routes and my ability to to travel around the world with minimal connections has been been really fortunate but in the other way and to answer sort of how how do i prepare um i like to call them positioning flights a bit you know a bit like a an aircraft itself in terms of it particularly if i'm trying to cross an ocean so if i am going into europe or or to asia i'll often fly to the east coast or the west coast the night before and i think my reason for doing that you know in terms of broadening those options um, but also just making the most. If you are taking PTO, I think just shortening your flight time um, at the start of your trip, you're not necessarily taking extra time off work and you can just potentially enjoy an extra night or a few more hours in your end destination. So I do do that uh, from time to time. But yeah, living in Dallas, we're pretty lucky because we have a lot of options. Yeah, I, I like to take, especially on the days, sometimes I, I take flights while work is happening and then <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and then I'll do work while I'm working. I'm very upfront with my bosses though. I'm okay. like, I'm going to, I'm going to, t- going to be gone for like 30 minutes while I'm, I load this plane and then I'm going to work. <laughs> what about Ross? What, do you do that? <laughs> <laughs> no. I'm, 
I'm here under the capacity of ID90 Travels. So <laughs> I guess no comment is probably the uh, answer. Oh, just just playing me through there. <laughs> How often do you non-rep though? Like, are you doing more domestic or is it all, all, it sounds like you've done a lot of international, but how is it your normal like on a month to month basis? Yeah, it definitely, definitely varies. So when I first moved to the US, I was doing a lot of domestic travel, really excited to access a lot of the country that, that I'd never been to before. Um, I'm loosely trying to get to every state um, as well. Oh, what as, are you at now? Uh, I believe I'm on 25. Wow. So, yeah, exactly. I feel like that's, that's gotta be, I feel like that's more than me. That's really good. <laughs> 25, that's halfway there. Yeah. So I have, uh, I have rules in order to count a state as well. So I'll only count it if I stay overnight mm-hmm. oh, wow. and have a beer in that. <laughs> those are my two criteria. I have the same criteria for, for countries, although I'm prepared to bend that rule on the overnight stay for some very small countries, uh, depending on... I'm planning to go to Liechtenstein, which is a small country in between Switzerland and Austria uh, in the summer. And you can stay there. We do have a couple of hotel options, even on ID90. <laughs> um, but, you know, it, it's a very, very small country. So I'm, I might bend the rule, but I'm definitely going to go there this summer. So that's the I plan. love that. I love that. So now with with how often you've been non-rubbing, um, I'm guessing that you've had some type of, uh, I don't want to say disaster, but some <laughs> some, type, some experience where story, things didn't go, go your way. Um, would you be willing to share that with us and how did you figure it out? Yeah, so I think disaster, I mean, don't get me wrong, it is heartbreaking when you when you don't get <laughs> on a flight. I don't think we'll ever, particularly if you're traveling for a purpose. Like, sure. you know, there's, there's a difference between I'm going to go to the airport and see where I can get to this weekend versus, you know, we're going for a wedding or you know, vacation, whatever it might be. So it's always disappointing, but I think we try to keep it in perspective because... Yes, you, you're disrupted, it may be inconvenient, it may cost you money, but you're still, compared with an average consumer, we're in a, we're in a privileged position with these, these flight benefits. So mm-hmm. um, if it's an extra hotel night here and there, you know, so be it. So try to keep the perspective, but definitely in terms of disaster, I think the most difficult challenge I've had non-revving was actually last summer. I went to visit a friend of mine who, who lives in Paris and uh, getting to Paris was absolutely no problem. Flights wide open into Europe, but actually getting out of France during August, uh, I learned from my my friend and you know knowing a few other French people that I've met over the years that pretty much the whole country goes on vacation during August. Um, so the airports are, are super busy, and I think honestly, if we tried to non-rev, we'd have been there uh, probably for another week. It was looking <laughs> wow. it was looking that bad, um, and you know. At that case, at that stage, it was really a case of just trying to find the most cost-effective way of getting out of France and then mm-hmm. uh, reassessing our options from there. So, I tend not to buy many flights now. I know some non-revs, uh, you know, they they will not buy a, a flight at, at all costs. I'm probably <laughs> not quite in that camp. I think I I probably purchased two flights last year. Similar situations where I, I knew I was going to be stuck or I, I'd got stuck. Um, and actually, on that occasion. Yeah, we we managed to get on a low cost carrier, Vwelling, back to back to London, and then from London, there's there's a few more options. But yeah, I think I don't know if I've had any true disasters. I've never been stranded somewhere I didn't want to be for too long. I've had the odd domestic. Uh, you know, I know an airport hotel in Atlanta a lot more 
than I need to. <laughs> <laughs> but I've never had any touch wood. I've never had any proper disasters so far. That's good. And and Europe, I think, is one of the better places for last minute low cost carrier or ULCC tickets, right? Like here, they they might actually be kind of expensive last minute, but there, I mean, can you, how cheap could you even get them last minute, like day of, maybe two days up? Absolutely. So last minute, you're always going to pay a premium if it's on the day of travel or, or the day before. But just generally in Europe, air travel is is so cheap compared with even domestically within the US. And actually, it's a I think it's a little bit of a, should we call it a standby secret, I guess, as we're on this, <laughs> on this podcast. Actually, um, for those airline employees who potentially don't have those Z partnerships with many European airlines, or even if they do, actually booking confirmed seats on some of these low-cost carriers who actually don't engage in the staff travel environment so Ryanair the largest low-cost carrier or ultra low-cost carrier in Europe don't engage in any kind of staff travel program even for their own employees Uh, and actually their fares are are so cheap they're actually probably going to be cheaper than a Z fare on a legacy carrier or someone you might have a partnership with so again talking of those positioning flights uh, i always use london as a as a base uh, for obvious reasons but you know even into amsterdam or any other hub that you can fairly easily get to from the us once you're there you've got access to some really great fares um, so even though you know, i love the non-rev space I'm very much in the camp that sometimes it does make sense to give yourself that certainty, particularly if you're trying to get somewhere a little bit more unique at the end of your trip. Yeah, absolutely. The, the, I mean, what's the cheapest not uh, Ryanair fare you can get? Also, what do they use? Their pounds? <laughs> yeah, so they're based in they're based in Ireland, Ireland. so they'll, they'll do euros, they'll do pounds, but I think they do sales where you can buy a fare for one euro. Wow. Um, but yeah, on average, you know, you'll probably think, if you book in advance, you're probably 20 euros with $25 probably equivalent. Wow. So it's very, very affordable and uh, definitely something to look at. And there's, there's several other low-cost carriers as well as Ryanair who, who have a similar model. I'm curious um, about what you were saying, how twice a year sometimes you buy a ticket. Um, do you pay cash or do you use points? Because I know earlier before this you said you have a Capital One card. Uh, what is your? How do you use your points if you do, like, yeah, how do you use them? Yeah, great question. So actually with the U.S. carriers, um, because, you know, up until moving to the U.S., uh, it was pretty rare that I would fly on a, on a U.S. carrier. So most of my point accumulation would be on uh, British-based airlines uh, b- before that. So I'm not actually a huge hoarder of points. I tend to accumulate enough to then bail me out when I get stuck. Um, but So typically... Yeah, if I have enough points just to get one segment to get me out of somewhere where I'm stuck to somewhere where my options look a lot better or get me all the way home, great, then I'll do that. Uh, if not, yeah, I'll just pay cash, particularly, you know, if it's if it's an airline to get me out of a country I'd, I'd never visited before. Yeah. Then, um, that, that would typically be my, my go-to. Um, but to answer your question from earlier around, you know, how often do I non-rev? I think it definitely definitely varies um, because I, I do a lot of travel for work as well and when I am traveling for work I'll always be on a confirmed seat mm-hmm. as you know we can't uh, can't non-rev for, for work purposes but you know so I'm probably about half and half so 
last year I took around 70 flights and wow. around half of them were true non-rev experiences so and cool. the other half were flying around visiting our airlines and prospective airlines here at RD90. How much was yours, Matt? I know you had a lot last year. Oh, how many flight? I got to look at, use flighty. Or do I, you use... I'm old school. Yeah, I have a spreadsheet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, wow. That is old school. <laughs> I have a spreadsheet. Uh, it probably dates back to... I probably got back to about 2018. I wish oh, I'd gone wow. earlier. But, and I have another spreadsheet where I'm trying to track all the airlines I've flown on. But And like and what I, your thoughts were on them or something? Yeah, but I randomly... Oh, so cool. Usually when I'm in flight and I'm, you know... Sitting on those transatlantic flights, you have a lot of thinking time. I do still randomly think of a new one that I'd forgotten. So my list is gradually creeping up, even uh, you know, even without taking any new flights, because my memory is definitely not perfect. Okay, okay. I have a question about your list. Then, what's your favorite airline on your on your list of airlines so far? That is a a great question. Um, do you remember? Yeah, in terms of, it depends how you're ranking them, I guess. <laughs> um, you know, I'm very much, uh, if I'm on the flight, I'm happy. I don't care where I sit. Course, I never, yeah. very rarely fly business class. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm an eco- economy loyalist uh, back there. So in terms of like in-flight experience, um, it doesn't, you know, I'm not the best person to ask because I, I don't necessarily uh, look out for these things like like some people would. Um, so I tend to find airlines, you know, who kind of operate a little bit differently, like really interesting. Um, and, you know, I've had some great experiences. I know you guys are big fans of JSX here in the US, I have to yeah, say. Uh-huh. Uh, admittedly. <laughs> not revving on JSX is definitely a, a nice experience. Um but in, in terms of my favorite airline, I'm a big fan of flying Virgin Atlantic. Oh, across. cool. Yeah, all of my transatlantic trips, they're probably probably the one. Um, but my my best experience probably with Tropic Air, who are in Belize. Oh, interesting. And they, uh, they do a flight, which I believe you can access through non-rev privileges. I, I don't know if it's done on a Z-Fair. I'd have to have to check, but they do a flight over the Blue Hole, which is a um, barrier reef in, in Belize. So very small plane. I think there's seven seats. And, oh, uh, wow. We did that. So I don't know. They are an airline, so I guess they count as well. So they're, that's probably the most memorable flight I've taken. Super cool and unique too. When we go back to your kind of work experience, you work with many different airlines. Now, of course, we don't want to point out specific airlines, but what have you kind of learned of working with carriers really all over the world versus domestically and how they all operate their kind of employee travel programs differently? Yeah, and I think the most eye-opening thing there is actually just how much difference there is um, both domestically here in the States, but also, as you mentioned, in other regions. And that comes down, I think, in two different ways around, yeah, what's actually offered in their employee benefit package. So does the employee have access to just regular standby travel or do they also have confirmed discount programs where they can buy those those positive space tickets at a discounted rate uh buddy passes are not as prevalent as i thought they would be i i I must admit i thought they were they would be more standardized across the industry um but they're not uh they're missing from from many airlines and then you going into different regions there's some airlines in europe who I think are doing some really interesting things with their employee travel. So 
rather than operating on a on a purely standby basis they offer sort of very last minute inventory to their employees oh interesting so you can get to you know potentially a week or, or even closer to the departure date without knowing if you're going to get on on that flight but they do give you that advance notice so i've been speaking to a few airlines who operate in that way and then a low-cost carrier in europe who in my opinion, it's probably the best uh, staff travel program that I've come across uh, where they allow all of their employees to nominate four people each year. And all of those four people, including the employee, can fly anywhere on their network for 25 euros. Flat or each time? Per, per segment. Okay. Um, and they have some slightly longer haul destinations, which I think are 50 euros. So again, wow. you know, Conversion rate, you know, we're talking uh, really you know, cheap flights. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that's a, that's a great perk. And then, you know, moving out into Asia, you, you know, most of the U.S. carriers tend to subsidize a lot of their employee travel programs. Um, whereas in other regions, particularly we've noticed in Asia, it's more typical for even for standby travel for the employee to pay a small amount um, to in order to access that benefit. Interesting. And with buddy passes, is that mostly a US thing? I'd say it's it's more common in the in the US, um, but we have seen it elsewhere. Um, but again, a lot of airlines are actually brand new to staff travel. So even wow. if they've been flying a little while, they may never have had a, a staff travel program. So actually. That's one of the things we help them with in order to establish that. Um, so, yeah, we can try to point them in the right direction uh, where we can. Yeah. And we talked a little bit about your not necessarily nightmare flights. Uh, I kind of want to know the opposite now. Like, do you have like one of your greatest accomplishments flights of like something that you're like, oh, I don't I, I had to like maneuver things or like strategize or do you have any accomplishments for yeah, non-revving specifically? <laughs> I've, I've definitely had some miracles where <laughs> I've got back to my house and, and laid in bed and think, how on earth? How on earth have <laughs> 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 uh, I made it back to my own bed tonight? There's definitely been a, a few examples there. I think, you know, I've, I've had some great experiences and, and flying some really unusual routes. Um, and actually one of the... One of the other differences we've, that I've noticed flying on different airlines, working with different airlines around the world is the dedication almost that's offered to staff travel. And I, I think Asia really leading the way. Similarly, a lot of their airlines are really leading the way in the hospitality piece mm-hmm. in terms of how they treat their customers. Um, but I flew on four or five Asian airlines last year and they all had a dedicated staff travel desk at oh, the sure. airport. And... Uh, you know, you could argue that potentially you know, U.S. airlines, they're investing more in technology. So do they necessarily need that staff travel desk? So I don't think it's fair to compare airlines always between different regions. But it's definitely a nice touch where you can uh, bypass the big queue and go in there, get the answers to your questions. So um, that was kind of touching on your previous question. <laughs> um, to talk about my my best flight experiences, I think. Ultimately, it's a little bit of a cliche, but it, it does come down to people. Like we talk about, you know, 
here at RD90, we talk about empowering airlines with technology, um, but ultimately it comes down to the, the cabin crew often uh, or the airport gate agents. And I've had a great, I think my best experience, uh, a shout out to one of our newest customers, JetBlue. Um, <laughs> I was stuck actually the same trip where I'd bought my flight to get out of Paris back to London. I was then very stuck still in London. Um, but the JetBlue uh, member of their team at Gatwick Airport in, in London, he went far above and beyond. I think he he empathised with our, our situation um, and he really helped us out. And in the end, uh, my wife and I, we actually got cleared for, for different flights and she was on the jet bridge. And I realised because we'd been, you know, running around the airport, seeing how we could possibly get back to the US. We realized we were going to separate. She was going to fly to Boston. I was going to fly to JFK. And we oh. realized we had each other's suitcase. So not only no would way. we have been separated, <laughs> uh, we would have been with each other's carry-on uh, luggage, which wouldn't have been particularly helpful when we got there. <laughs> but this JetBlue guy who had helped us out uh, initially at the check-in counter, he'd actually called through. He'd managed to get... Uh, us two seats on the same flight oh. so they pulled wow. my wife off the boston flight we both flew to jfk and then somehow we did actually get back from jfk that day as well so that was definitely the the most miraculous escape in terms of <laughs> getting home but yeah as i said the the key there was somebody doing their job but really doing things they didn't need to do and you know people are busy you don't as a staff traveler, you don't expect mm-hmm. that you know, VIP service, if you like. Um, but when it happens, I think we all appreciate it. Oh, yeah. They're always remembered. Like, you'll probably remember. <laughs> you don't know his name or their name, but you'll remember them <laughs> as a person, probably. I know. I feel bad. I can't remember his name. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, whoever he was, he, he definitely helped us out. <laughs> so now we're going to have some kind of just rapid fire questions, short questions for you. Um, to kind of get to know what you like. Um, are you a person that cares about the type of plane you're traveling on? Do you have a preferred type of airplane? Are you Airbus or Boeing type of person? It's a bad answer for somebody who works in <laughs> the aviation tech industry, but I do not have a preference. I do like the A380, I must admit. Yeah. Uh, BA fly that from Dallas to London at the moment, and I've, I've flown it a couple of times out, out to Singapore, and I do like it. There's something kind of unique about being upstairs I guess <laughs> it's kind of fun even because BA have their economy upstairs so I wasn't I wasn't in a, a premium cabin but yeah I like the A380 but other than that no no real preference flying on the upper deck what's been your favorite country that you've visited I think Japan there's there's definitely some recency bias there because it was last year um, but I think it's difficult now you know, we talk about globalization and I'm not, I'm not going to get too yeah. deep here, but it's actually really hard. I think sometimes with travel to get a truly different experience. And for me, Japan did provide that. There was no English spoken. It was very, very uh, alien in a way, uh, but we loved it. And Japanese food is awesome as well. So did you take was... the train around? Yeah, we did the bullet train, had the bullet train pass. That's awesome. Um, had a, had a great hotel in, in Tokyo and, yeah, we were only there for five days. We'll definitely go back, which, again, it takes quite a lot often for me to go back to a country because oh, wow. I'm trying to get to as, as many as I can. Um, but Japan was, yeah, a brilliant experience. In terms of Europe, I'll give a shout-out to Slovenia. Slovenia is my favorite European country. 
it's probably one that fewer people have been to. It's probably bad for a non-ref podcast because flights out of Ljubljana, I believe is how you pronounce the capital, are probably terrible. Uh, but it's, you can drive from Venice. It's very close oh, to, okay. to Venice. Yeah. Very interesting. Do you have a favorite airline snack from any airline? Yeah, I've already talk, talked about JSX once. So I feel like I should mix it up. But the <laughs> JSX uh, cheese straws were pretty spectacular. I think they got rid of those. I believe Aww. they I think yeah. got rid of them. Yeah, yeah somebody sad. else told me that. Um, that's not the reason I haven't flown them recently. But <laughs> <laughs> I haven't checked. Uh, but yeah, that's pretty good. Um, and then we had some pretty nice like pizza pockets on Virgin for a while when I was doing a lot of flights between London and Dallas. Sort of the afternoon stack. On the, on the flight, they, they were pretty good as well. What has been the most challenging or complex destination to get to? I think from a non-rev perspective, it typically comes down to which agreements you have. Sure, absolutely. So I'm going to say getting to Vietnam was the biggest challenge, um, but just because you know, getting out to Asia, I'm pretty lucky in the sense that I do have access to agreements on on several airlines that will get me to japan or south korea or, or maybe taiwan but from there it gets a little more narrow should we say mm. on, on, on as your options uh, don't necessarily play out but again the fares there can be yeah. very cheap so if you can get close enough then often it's not too hard to make it the, the final step of the way. But I'd say Vietnam, definitely the most logistically challenging. Um, we are going to Addis Ababa in Ethiopia for a work event later this year as well, which uh, we, we won't be non-revving, so I guess it doesn't <laughs> count, but that, that's an interesting one to get to as well. Will you take Ethiopian probably? Ooh, I think I'm actually going to fly Qatar. Oh, nice. Connect in Doha because, again, I, as I said, I try to fly as many many airlines as, as possible and Qatar have been on, on my list I've heard pretty good Q-Suites <laughs> unfortunately <laughs> not <laughs> unless you can convince our CEO to All right, let we'll, me experience we'll, that we'll try that <laughs> <laughs> on the next episode um, how do you how do you um, entertain yourself on a plane books movies just listening to music so I realize this is going out in a in a public domain but I'm, <laughs> I'm going to stick with honesty even if it does make me sound <laughs> kind of strange but i honestly just sit there no uh, way yeah, I'm like, no. <laughs> yeah i've already said i don't have a favorite plane and now i'm saying i uh yeah i i kind of i love like the the feeling that you've got nothing else to do like this varies as well like domestically i will typically be on my laptop i might watch a movie but on the transatlantic flights where you'd think oh you have more spare time you've got you know more things to do I just kind of sit there. <laughs> I might play the odd game on my phone. Uh, I don't really have the attention span for like longer movies. So I might have something on Netflix, maybe on my phone. But um, I'm also pretty lucky in that I'm, I'm good at sleeping on planes. Okay, that's okay. good. So the night flight. 15 hours of just sitting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Staring at the seat in front yeah, of you, like I actually. I just kind of, you know, occasionally I, I'm, I chat to people. Aww. And, you know, it's, I find it so easy as well to tell who the other non-rep travelers are. I'm sure, mm. I'm sure you guys are the same. But I've never thought of that, really. Like I, if you if I summon the gate, yes. But on the actual airplane, I feel like it might be a, a little, if they're in a uniform or something like that's obvious, but. You can tell even if they're just wearing regular clothes. I think it's telltale signs. Maybe not on a, a, a route that I'm new to, but 
on a flight that I take a lot, such as Dallas to London, you can usually tell, like, and you're also kind of all crowding around. You may have made eye contact with somebody, like, in actually at the gate. You kind of there's there's a group of you congregating often. <laughs> the hopeful uh, look that you're going to get on. But a lot of airlines now, you know, we try to empower airlines with with technology and the number of space. But you know, shout out to the airlines doing their own thing as well. And United, one of our biggest customers, so they service the number of bookings through our platform but actually their day of travel experience on their app for number of travelers is brilliant yeah they give full visibility on the seat map and quite often you know again i don't i don't geek out on the aircraft type i don't geek out on on that kind of thing but i do geek out on on the number of side in terms of you know i'll be analyzing that seat map uh, in advance particularly if i'm flying on united um looking at their the numbers that they give you around their capacity and that kind of thing and you know usually if it's pretty tight you know which seats are open and yeah. you know there's often going to be a number of traveler next year as well so that's a good point i never thought to even look at that from there you have to show me how to check the seat map specifically then because i did not know you could even do that i knew you could check numbers and things in their app but i didn't even you could know you could check the seat map that's really cool that is cool yeah so the day of travel experience so it's not something that we get involved with yeah. at the moment as a company so ID90 in terms of providing visibility on the standby list, um, availability of seats. Uh, we offer great transparency through our app, but then the actual day of travel, it then comes down often to the airline and how, how they want to handle it. Because particularly for those legacy carriers where they've often got a lot of revenue passengers on standby, they're not necessarily, they're not integrated with our platform. Um, other number of platforms they're not, they're not going to be integrated um, so actually those airlines who choose to provide that visibility um, we think it's the best approach to take um, because ultimately the more you inform your employees or your Z travelers the less they're going to be hassling your gate agents and True. asking questions so we admire and encourage you know all of the airlines we work with to you know do as much through their own app as possible, as well as utilizing our tool. Well, thank you, Ross, for joining us on this podcast. It's so interesting to learn about all the places you've traveled. And, you know, uh, the way that I actually met Ross was he was at uh, an event at our comp- company and I came up to him and he was <laughs> just one of the most friendly people that's new, kind of connected immediately as a person that non and kind of knew the knew the challenges and knew, you know, the kind of lifestyle that we have um, as people that really enjoy nod roving. So it's been so great to have you on the podcast. Yeah, thank you for having us as well. They fed us and we had lots of good conversation even before the podcast. So thank you. We're, we're really excited to be here. Thanks, guys. Yeah, we really appreciate you coming down, seeing where ID90 live. And yeah, we hope to see you back here soon. Oh, so thanks. nice to be at the corporate headquarters. <laughs> very, very corporate. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Bye, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.